Hi, welcome to The Gallopod with me, Galloplacidia. In this episode, I'm reading chapters one through four of my story, The Bucket List. If you're not here for dreary fanfic, you're in the wrong place. Content warning, this story does contain themes of terminal illness, but it also has a happy ending. I hope you enjoy The Bucket List. Chapter one, number 84. Break into Kew Garden so that I can enjoy it without all of the bloody plebs. There's got to be a way to break the curse, said Pansy. Ah, said Draco. There is, yes, sort of. Not really. Harry Potter has to tell me he loves me and mean it. Pansy put down her wine glass. What the fuck sort of curse is that? An extremely contrived one, said Draco, eating a salted peanut. He didn't love the bar Pansy had chosen, but the important thing had been to get out of the house so that they could have this conversation without being overheard by Blaze and Millicent. No, I mean, what will happen to you if you don't break it? asked Pansy. Oh, death. Painful, slow death. In about six months, said Draco. He had been walking home from his mind-numbingly dull job at the Department of Transportation when he had been roughly shoved against a wall and spat on. Although this sort of thing didn't happen as much as it had in the first year after the war, it wasn't totally unprecedented. Draco had slipped out of the man's grip and wiped the spit away with his sleeve. The only reason you're not in prison is because of Harry Potter's goodness, said the man. And Draco had to agree with him, although he wasn't sure that it was relevant. It did, however, turn out to be relevant. You think he likes you? You think he cares about you? I really don't, Draco had said. The man appeared not to hear him. No one gives a shit whether you live or die. The man raised his wand and spoke a few words in a foreign language, not Latinate. Draco didn't recognise it. But he felt the magic wash over him, like someone with bad breath, breathing in his face. There, said the man. You won't get him to save you from that. Draco had gone to St Mungo straight away, where they had diagnosed the curse, and explained the rest. How the fuck are we supposed to get Harry fucking Potter to fall in love with you? asked Pansy, now. I don't bloody know, do I? said Draco. That's why I'm asking you. Pansy nodded. Her long, tasseled earrings swayed. Okay, she said. Fine, we'll sort it out. I haven't told anyone. Why not? People will be... Boring about it, said Draco. Well, fix it, Draco. You're not dying. You're twenty-two. Draco made a non-committal sound and ate another peanut. What? asked Pansy. Well, I've had a good run. Draco! Look, it's not likely I'll successfully seduce Potter, is it? So I may as well make my peace with it. He tilted his head contemplatively. I mean, in some parallel universes, I'm already dead. Probably. That's how that works, isn't it? We're fixing this, Draco. Oh, all right but I'm writing a bucket list. The bucket list kept him entertained while Pansy plotted how to get Potter to fall in love with him. They spent the next few days in coffee shops, scribbling in notebooks. What have you saved his life? suggested Pansy. Draco snorted. Fine. Back to the drawing board, said Pansy. I wish I could go to Petra, said Draco. I've always wanted to go to Petra. And Cairo. He was forbidden from leaving Britain by the terms of his parole. It would be up in a year, but that was useless, of course. Maybe if you date Ginny Weasley, he'll get jealous and fuck you, said Pansy. Number one, Ginny Weasley will never date me, and number two, jealous fucking isn't the goal. Back to the drawing board, said Pansy. Do you think I'd be any good at tap dancing? asked Draco. No, said Pansy. Draco added, take tap dancing lessons to the list, anyway. Because there wasn't much time, Pansy's plan was slightly rushed. That was her excuse, anyway. You get in the lift with him. I'll take it from there, she explained. Well, sure, you'll trap us in a lift together. Doesn't mean he'll fall in love with me. He just needs to agree to go on a date with you, said Pansy. This would be so much easier if I could just tell him about the curse, said Draco. You know how he likes a cause. The healer said no tricks, said Pansy. It has to be genuine. Telling him about the curse is too risky. I know, said Draco. The plan was put into motion the next day. 
Pansy had used her considerable stalking skills to find out exactly what time Potter left the oral department. Draco lingered nearby, and the moment Potter got into a conspicuously empty lift, Draco dashed in after him. Malfoy, asked Potter, glowering, what are you doing on this floor? Oh, I'm sorry, do you own it? The lift juddered to a stop. No fucking way, said Potter. He jammed the emergency button. Nothing happened. Looks as if we're stuck, said Draco. I guess we have no choice but to get to know each other better. Potter glared at him. You did this, he said. I'm with you, said Draco. You're literally my alibi. Potter groaned and leant his head back against the wall. He had quite a nice neck, reflected Draco. And a nice body, too. As long as he had to seduce someone, it may as well be Potter. Draco steeled himself. How hard could it be to attract him? Ginny Weasley had managed it, after all, and she was a ginger. So, I'm gay, said Draco conversationally. Are you? Potter's head jerked so fast it looked as if it hurt. What? You don't seem gay, went on Draco. But then, I don't like to assume. Malfoy, what the fuck is going on? Draco could sense he was losing control of the situation. Do you want to go on a date with me? he asked. Potter pulled out his wand and pointed it straight at Draco. A horribly familiar smell came to him. The bathroom smell, clean but old and wet. He hadn't realised he had forgotten it until it returned, and then the tangy metallic smell of his own blood, and then the taste, and his chest hurt, and he remembered the way the ceiling had looked as he had bled. He had felt so calm, and there was the sound his mother had made in the hospital wing, and he was staring at Potter's wand in a lift at the age of twenty-two at the same time as he was bleeding out on a bathroom floor at sixteen, and... Leave me the fuck alone, said Potter. The lift started moving again. Pansy had been watching the whole scene with some sort of spying spell and had clearly decided to cut their losses. Draco put his hands up placatingly. He didn't feel he could say anything. The lift came to a stop and he let Potter get out. Draco rode the lift down to the basement where he found an old broom cupboard and had a little panic. Only a little one. He could breathe and everything. It was just, there were so many books he would never get to read. His heart thumped in his ears. He would never go to Petra. He would never go to Cairo. He would never have children. He would never grow old. He would never... Draco... It was Pansy, on the other side of the door. Yes? His voice sounded fine. He didn't say yes, I take it. No, he had other plans, said Draco. We'll figure... Don't say we'll figure something out. We won't figure something out, said Draco. Pansy was quiet for a long time. Will you come out? she asked. That's on my bucket list, said Draco. Come out. I don't want you to die, said Pansy. Her voice sounded fine, too. Don't... Don't be boring about it, Pants. There was a pause. Draco used it to swallow hard several times until the lump in his throat was gone. He suspected Pansy was doing the same. Get out of this manky broom cupboard, you terminal wanker, said Pansy, and he loved her so much that he nearly panicked again. But there wasn't time to panic, only six months, so instead he opened the cupboard door, called her a stupid bint, and took her out to get plastered. I've got about a month until the first symptoms set in, explained Draco, so I've divided the list into energy categories. Climb Ben Nevis, read Pansy. It's the tallest mountain in Britain. I'd have liked to do Everest, but this is a long list, Draco, said Pansy. I know, I've quit my job. They were sitting on the floor in Draco's attic bedroom. Pansy, Draco, Blaze, Millicent, Greg and the Greengrass sisters all lived in a run-down old townhouse that Millicent had inherited from her grandmother. At first they had intended to live without house elves. Their resolve had quickly weakened when they realised how quickly everything got disgusting when no one had the knowledge or inclination to clean up after themselves. "'Well, you've got the money, I suppose,' said Pansy. "'Exactly. But I do want to do something. Useful, I mean. Like, healing?' "'There's not time,' said Pansy. "'I know,' said Draco. "'Yeah.' Pansy flicked through the bucket list. It was ten pages long, double-sided. That didn't include the list of fifty books Draco had chosen to finish his life with. 
Fifty was ambitious, but he thought he could manage it. What's this one? Befriend Aunt Andromeda, she asked. Ah, well, Mother is going to be a bit put out when I die, said Draco. Bound to be, said Pansy. Draco's father had died in Azkaban a year after the war. Natural causes, they said. It wasn't very agreeable to think of his mother, all alone. I figure if she's friends with Andromeda, she'll feel a bit less, you know, down about the whole thing. Good thinking, said Pansy. Doesn't Andromeda have a kid? Grandson. Teddy, I think. Sure you want to spend your last months on this good earth with a toddler? asked Pansy. Not at all sure, but I've got to get started soon. The relationship things all have to come up top because we can't rush those, said Draco. Pansy nodded. We'll have to colour-code them. All good plans are colour-coded, she said. Yes, and I'm starting tomorrow. No time to waste. None, said Pansy, and she went to fetch her coloured pens. The next day, Draco went to his Aunt Andromeda's house. He and Pansy had decided against owling ahead of time. An owl was much easier to ignore than a nephew. Draco, said Andromeda. She sounded more surprised than appalled, which Draco thought was encouraging. Hello, can I come in? I brought candied pineapple. Andromeda let him into a neat little kitchen. This is a surprise, she said. I hope you aren't angry that I've come without warning. I've been thinking about you and Teddy a lot. Family's important to me, you see, said Draco. She looked rather shiny-eyed, like a Hufflepuff. Draco smiled at her. It would be good for Teddy to have more family, said Andromeda. Is he around? Can I meet him? asked Draco. And then I played with him for an hour, and by the end, Aunt Andromeda was practically inviting me to live with her, he told Pansy that evening, as they broke into Kew Gardens, number 84 on the bucket list. Don't you dare move out, said Pansy. Oh, fucking fuck, Draco, I snagged my tights climbing over that gate. It's nice in here at night, though, isn't it? It was nice. No one else was around. They let themselves into one of the tropical greenhouses and breathed in the damp air. Too many plants, said Pansy. How did you get on with Teddy? Draco wrinkled his nose. I plied him with chocolate so that he would like me. If someone's child trusts you, you're in. And then, once Andromeda trusts you, you'll get her and your mother to make up. Exactly. It's a good plan, said Pansy. Thank you, said Draco. The air was thick with oxygen, and Draco felt more awake than he had in years. Kew Gardens, at night, with Pansy Parkinson. Check. Chapter 2. Number 45. Group sex. With men? With women? I'm not particular. Draco went to Andromeda's house every day at four, because that was when Teddy woke up from his nap. This allowed him to do something from his list in the first part of the day, and still have time in the evening to spend with the Slytherins. Number two, spend time with Slytherins. Although Draco moaned about Teddy constantly, in his heart of hearts, he enjoyed the time they spent together. Teddy looked up to him and thought he was wonderful. Draco had always been partial to being adored. Andromeda, too, was a revelation. She reminded him of his mother, but less feminine. Since his father's death, Draco had felt a lack in the world, the space where his father's love used to be, and Andromeda seemed to mend the balance slightly. She wasn't effusive, but it didn't matter. She loved him. Draco could tell. It was six o'clock, and Draco was just finishing an argument with Teddy about who would win in a fight between a shark and ten lions on a barge, when the flu flared up. "'All right if I come over,' said a voice. "'Harry!' cried Teddy. "'Potter?' asked Draco. "'He's Teddy's godfather,' said Andromeda. "'Ah!' said Draco. "'I'd better just—' He opened the pantry door and hid inside. Draco, don't be ridiculous, said Andromeda. Come out. I'm gay, said Draco. What? Coming out. Draco. Oh, hello, Harry. How wonderful to see you. Andromeda had seven different types of pasta, arranged in jars along a shelf. Draco wondered how long Potter would stay. Draco couldn't disapparate from within the house because of the wards. Andromeda, said Potter, his voice sounding warm and kind, and not at all as if he had once almost murdered someone in a bathroom. Teddy... Draco's hiding in the pantry, said Teddy. You little turncoat, shouted Draco. The door was wrenched open. Potter stood outside, an expression of disbelief on his face. 
I was just checking whether Aunt Andromeda had enough pasta to get through the winter, said Draco, breezing past him. Thankfully, she does. Well, I'd better be off. Pansy's rented a barge on the Thames and I plan to drink myself into a stupor by half past ten. Cheerio! He left before Potter could point his wand at him again, went home, and had a little panic. Just a little one. Then he went out on a barge on the Thames with his friends and drank himself into a stupor by half past ten. Unfortunately, the next day, Potter was already there when Draco arrived at Andromeda's. Oh, uh, said Draco, turning to go. Malfoy, wait. I think I left the oven on, said Draco, which was ridiculous, because he didn't even know how to use his oven. He would have to learn eventually, for number 122, bake cookies so as to impress the masses with my modern man domestic agility, but at present it was a mystery to him. Malfoy, look, I know Teddy's your cousin. First cousin once removed, said Draco. Right, and I'm his godfather, so we're going to run into each other occasionally, try not to be such a git about it. I resent that accusation. I am doing exactly what you requested. I'm leaving you the fuck alone, said Draco. Potter rolled his eyes. For God's sake. There's a difference between trapping me in a lift with you and trying to strong-arm me into dating you for reasons I literally cannot fathom and being civil to me when we overlap at Andromeda's house. Maybe he'll fall in love with me after all, thought Draco, because of my boundless charm. He started laughing then, slightly hysterically. Potter watched him with concern. Malfoy? Yes, gasped Draco. Fine, fine. Civility. Draco, said Teddy, coming into the room, have you come to play knights? Draco straightened his face. That depends. Did you memorise the chivalric code? Teddy nodded. Well then, you're ready to play knights. The chivalric code? asked Potter. From Thomas Mallory's Mart d'Arthur. Read a book, Potter. Potter glared at him. Whatever, Malfoy. I'll see you around. Bye, Teddy. You're not staying to play knights? He doesn't know the code, said Draco, so he can't. Potter muttered something under his breath. It sounded a lot like twat and left. Everyone hates my family, said Draco, because of the whole war thing. Pansy stopped pedalling to look at him. She had only reluctantly agreed to rent a pedalo boat with him. Yes, she said, they do. So I'd like to do something to stop them hating us, said Draco. I've come up with a plan. As always. What does it involve this time? Badges? Does Greg have to dress up as a little girl again? asked Pansy. No, said Draco. I want to throw events. Charity events. I'll raise money for war causes. I'll be a philanthropist. Brilliant, said Pansy. Amazing. Genius. Just one problem. I believe I can foresee your concern, said Draco. Everyone hates you, and no one will ever come to any event you plan, said Pansy. Draco nodded. Any event I plan, he paused for effect. This afternoon, I am meeting with Luna Lovegood for coffee. Lovegood? She seemed like the only war hero I could talk to without getting punched. Hmm, said Pansy. So your plan behind the scenes, Lovegood takes the credit, money is raised. How does this improve the Malfoy name? Once I'm dead, Lovegood reveals that I spent my final months slaving away for the cause of righteousness. That brave young man, say the papers. No one knew how reformed and selfless he was. Quick, send our sister Malfoy flowers and accolades and invitations to all the finest parties. Pansy nodded thoughtfully. That might work, you know. Draco gestured at his face. Not just a pretty face, he said. Pansy snorted. It's nearly lunch, she said. We should head back. So they pedalled back to the dock, and Draco returned to the manor for lunch as he did every day. Number one. Spend time with Mother. I think it's a wonderful idea, said Luna. She had smiled radiantly at Draco all the way through his apology, and then reminded him that he had already apologised by letter, which was true. Draco had sent letters to everyone he could think of after his trial, apologising all over the place. Only two people had responded, Luna and Hermione Granger. So you'll do it, he asked. Yes, but I'm not very good at hosting, said Luna, chewing on her straw. She was drinking her latte through it, which Draco had resisted commenting on with difficulty. Will you be there at the events? I can't be. My involvement has to be secret. Why? asked Luna. Draco studied her for a moment and decided she probably wouldn't be boring about the whole death thing. I'm dying, he said. 
I have about six months. I'd like it to not come out until after I'm dead. I'm sorry, said Luna, her eyes soft. I'm sure you're not as bad at hosting as you think, said Draco. Luna seemed to understand that he didn't want to discuss his looming demise any further. I think I make people uncomfortable, she said. Draco sighed. She wasn't wrong. Well, he thought for a moment. I suppose I could glamour myself. Oh, that would be fun. You could have a secret identity. So it was decided. Draco would co-host the events as Lamarack Toujours, an Anglo-French wizard with party planning know-how. I don't really know how to throw parties, said Luna. That's all right, said Draco. I do. I'm sad you're dying, said Luna, as they paid the bill. Three galleons for a coffee? That's outrageous, said Draco. Does anyone else know? asked Luna. Just Pansy. It's easier that way. Luna nodded. Yes, I can see how it might be. Thank you for telling me, Draco. Thank you for agreeing to all this. I'm looking forward to it, said Luna. So he and Luna began meeting up every few days to plan their first event, which was to be a dinner party. Draco's days were very busy, but he knew he wouldn't always have the energy to do so many things, so he didn't mind the breathlessness of it all. "'You'll never guess who I saw in my life drawing class,' said Dean Thomas. "'Who?' asked Ron. They were at the pub, and Harry was more or less fine. He was always more or less fine these days. There was certainly no reason he shouldn't be fine. His life was perfect, just about. He was successful, he had money, he had friends, a good relationship with his godson, he went on frequent dates with beautiful women. There was nothing he could point to as the reason for why he felt so glum all the time.' Draco Malfoy, said Dean Thomas. He was the nude model. Harry nearly spat out his mouthful of lager. The what? asked Ron. I know. He waved hello at me, took off his robe, and then I spent the next hour painting his naked body. Dean looked at Harry. Was it you who gave him all those nasty scars, Harry? What nasty scars? asked Harry. All over his chest. Bloody nightmare to paint, said Dean Thomas. Oh, said Harry. Probably, yeah. He's gone mental, said Ron. I think it's brave, said Luna, who had been mostly silent all night. Maybe he's not comfortable in his body. He gave Harry an uncomfortable feeling in the pit of his stomach. All of it. Malfoy not being comfortable in his body. Malfoy's body. Malfoy lounging nakedly while half of Wizarding London painted him and probably wanked over the memories later. Every time Harry had gone to see Teddy in the last two weeks, Malfoy had been there. He comes every afternoon, said Andromeda. Doesn't he have a job? asked Harry. He quit, said Andromeda. Harry snorted. So he's just pissing about now. He seems pretty busy, said Andromeda. Always going on trips, doing things. Must be nice to be a man of leisure, said Harry. He's no richer than you are, Harry. If you wanted to quit work and spend your days rock climbing and tap dancing... Tap dancing? He takes lessons, said Andromeda. I'm perfectly happy with my work, thanks, said Harry. Although he wasn't happy at all, with anything, really. Malfoy always disappeared as soon as Harry arrived, which annoyed Harry for some inexplicable reason. I'm off, said Malfoy when Harry stepped out of the fireplace that afternoon. "'Up to much this weekend?' asked Harry, trying to sound friendly rather than inquisitorial. Malfoy consulted a little notebook. "'I'm having a threesome,' he said, "'and trying cocaine.' "'What?' "'I haven't organised it yet,' said Malfoy, sounding a little worried. "'But it's got to happen this weekend, because I'm hiking in the Lake District next weekend, and I just don't think that will be the time.' "'You're fucking with me,' said Harry. "'Why, Harry, I didn't know you'd be interested,' purred Malfoy. Then he suddenly looked contrite. Ah, I'd like that stricken from the record. Don't hex me, I'm leaving. I wasn't going to hex... But Malfoy had already gone. Chapter 3. Number 50. Buy one of those divine muggle suits so that people can check out my arse. The dinner party was a splendid success. Draco had glamoured himself to have curly dark hair and rather blunt features. He'd also changed his voice so that it was a little higher than his own. He skimmed around the party, feeding off people's energy, introducing guests left, right and centre. He had agonised over the placement de table, but he was pretty sure the seating arrangements were perfect. Harry Potter, said Potter, holding out a hand to be shaken. 
Lamarque toujours, said Draco, shaking Potter's hand. It's a pleasure to meet you. I don't usually like these things, said Potter, looking around at the other guests. He seemed a little nervous, which Draco found unnerving. Everyone always expects me to be interesting. I would never expect that of you, said Draco, and Potter, to Draco's great surprise, laughed. Good, he said. I've put you next to an acclaimed virologist, said Draco. Just ask her about dragonpox, sit back, and relax. Potter laughed again. As long as I don't have to be charming, he said. Luna suggested that small talk is not your forte, said Draco. Seems to be yours, said Potter, sounding almost envious. I've been watching you. You can talk to anyone. Easy enough, when no one knows who you are, said Draco, because he knew full well how this evening would go if he had his own face on. Yeah, sighed Potter. Maybe I could get him to fall in love with me as a Lamarack, thought Draco. Wouldn't work, said Pansy, when he suggested it. No tricks, remember? The spell is ridiculous, said Draco. When he looked over at Potter midway through the dinner, he was chatting happily away with the acclaimed virologist. The food was delicious, the wine plentiful, the music tasteful, and the donations forthcoming. A quarter of a million galleons, said Luna, when they had counted all of the checks at the end of the night. That's a lot of money, Draco. I'm good at throwing parties, said Draco. It's because I'm an unprincipled reprobate. Are you? asked Luna, curiously. I think so, yes, said Draco. The fatigue came on him slowly. At first it was just difficult to get out of bed. Then it was difficult to fall asleep. Then he started nodding off whenever he tried to read, which filled him with dread, because he had a strict reading schedule to keep and he couldn't possibly get through fifty books if he kept falling asleep mid-page. He bought a barrel of pepper-up potion and kept some in a hip flask. If he had a swig every hour or so, he could just about function as he had before, although it had side effects. Jittery fingers, a fluttery heart. He felt nervous all the time. But it was worth it, because he only had five months left, and there was a lot to do before then. He and Luna threw another event, a wine-tasting. Do I have to spit? asked Potter, sidling up to him. I would certainly never make you swallow, said Draco. Potter blushed, furiously red, and coughed into his arm. I heard you raised a ton of money after the last event, he said. Quarter of a million galleons, said Draco proudly, enough to add a new wing to the war orphanage. Have you been? No, said Potter. Oh, it's quite nice, said Draco, who had been a few weeks ago. Number 21. Visit war orphanage and think on sins. Terrible art on the walls, though. All those poor orphans are going to grow up with warped aesthetics. Potter laughed again. It seemed that Potter found Lamorak funny, which was disorienting, because Draco was certain that if he had said the same thing without his disguise, Potter would have glowered at him. Is that what tonight's money's going towards? asked Potter. Better art? Certainly not. Werewolf assimilation. That's a good cause, said Potter. How did you get into this? You went to Hogwarts, were you? You mustn't get the wrong idea about me, Harry. I just like planning parties. What's the wrong idea? That you're a good person? asked Harry. Draco grinned. Exactly. Maybe I don't like good people, said Potter. We should have mentioned that in your RSVP. I've put you next to a famed environmental activist for dinner. I don't usually like parties, said Potter, but yours are... all right. You just don't like bad parties, Harry. Now, if you'll excuse me, it looks as if that American senator is hitting on Griselda Fredrickson and making her deeply uncomfortable. I must go to the rescue. Call yourself a bad person, said Potter, as Draco left. Oh, yes, said Draco, but an excellent host. I wanted to go hiking in the Peak District, said Draco miserably. It was eleven in the morning and he hadn't been able to get out of bed yet. His head pounded and his eyes were heavy. Maybe you'll feel better next week, said Pansy. Yeah, maybe, said Draco, although they both knew that his symptoms would not improve from here. The pepper potion was no longer working very well and he was cold all the time. What's on your list that's a bit more easygoing? asked Pansy. Get married and have three children, said Draco. Pansy poked him with her index finger. You're feeling sorry for yourself, she said. I want to go to my mother's funeral, said Draco. I don't want her to go to mine. Is this helping you? asked Pansy. I've never been to an aquarium, said Draco. Okay, said Pansy, sounding relieved. Why don't you take Teddy? 
Because he's too young to remember me and life is meaningless. Draco. Draco slid under the covers. Pansy climbed in and held him. She stroked his hair. You can be upset if you want, she said. There isn't time to be upset, said Draco. He sighed. I'm just so bloody tired. Draco. Don't, Pans. Don't say you love me or anything like that. Just don't. Okay, said Pansy. Her voice sounded fine. So did his. He could feel her tears when they landed wetly on his scalp. Do you think I could combine number 222, visit an aquarium to check I still dislike fish with number 113, pet a shark? He asked. Definitely, said Pansy. Harry, 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 Draco got bit by a shark. Harry stared at Teddy in consternation. A real shark? Yes, it was so cool. Andromeda put the kettle on with a dry chuckle. It wasn't a very big shark, from what Draco tells me. He's all right, I healed him up at St. Mungo's. How on earth did he get bitten by a shark in London? asked Harry. He was trying to pet it, explained Teddy. Why? You know what, never mind. Andromeda, is he okay? It seems as if he's gone completely bonkers in the past few months. Andromeda smiled fondly. I think he's just enjoying life, she said. You should take a leaf out of his book, Harry. I enjoy life. Draco took me to a pantomime, and then we broke into the backstage area, and I got to meet all the actors, said Teddy. Just because I'm not doing unbelievably stupid things does not mean I don't enjoy life, said Harry. The flu burned green, and Malfoy stepped out, wearing a three-piece muggle suit. What the hell are you wearing? asked Harry. It was very expensive, said Draco defensively. You look handsome, said Andromeda, which Harry thought was beside the point. Obviously Malfoy looked handsome. It's a muggle suit, said Harry. I always liked how they looked, so I thought I'd buy one, said Malfoy. He adjusted his jacket. Actually, I bought four. I don't really understand muggle money, but I think from how the shop people behaved that I was quite extravagant. Show Harry where the shark bit you, said Teddy. It's all healed up, Ted. Now, are you ready to go to an amusement park? Draco, said Harry. You can't possibly be going to an amusement park. Why not? asked Malfoy, frowning. I got my muggle friend to look it up on the internet thing, and he said it was open. You're... Your muggle friend? Malfoy looked extremely smug. His name is Jack, and he works in HR. That means human relations. I met him when I was kayaking in Cornwall. Harry felt as if the whole world was off kilter. Draco Malfoy took kayaking trips to Cornwall and had friends who worked in HR. Harry filed paperwork at the Ministry of Magic all day. Nothing made any sense. Amusement park, amusement park, said Teddy. Get ready to be seriously amused, Ted, said Malfoy, holding out his hand. Harry had noticed that he always treated Teddy as if he was just a tiny adult. It wouldn't have worked with all children, but Teddy seemed to rise to the occasion. Can we stay until it closes? asked Teddy. Malfoy frowned. I'm a little tired, so we'll have to see. Are you sleeping any better? asked Andromeda. Not really, said Malfoy, but I'm getting used to it. You should try meditating, said Andromeda. Malfoy laughed. <laughs> People keep suggesting that, he said. I've tried it already, my head's too busy. Amusement park, amusement park, said Teddy. I've got to give the people what they want, said Malfoy, gesturing towards Teddy. I'll have him home by nightfall. No rush, said Andromeda, kissing Malfoy on the cheek. Potter, said Malfoy, with a terse nod, and he and Teddy stepped into the fireplace. You could do worse than learn from Draco, Harry, said Andromeda, once they were gone. You need to get out of your comfort zone. Harry was trying to get out of his comfort zone. He kept going to Luna's stupid events, didn't he? Although he had to admit to himself that Lamorac Toujours was a compelling reason to go in his own right. He never had much time for Harry because he was so busy chatting to everyone and introducing people to each other, but whenever they did talk, Harry felt shiny and interesting. He suspected that was just part of Lamorak's skill as a host, but Harry couldn't help falling for it. Ever since that baffling day that Malfoy had accosted him in a lift and asked him if he was gay, Harry had been wondering if he shouldn't just... date a guy. He knew he'd like to. It wasn't as if any of his friends or family would have a problem with it. He just sort of hadn't yet. 
And Lamarack was handsome and clever and witty. Chapter 4. Number 134. Watch a movie. Do these people not have books? Are their imaginations faulty? Potter arrived at Andromeda's just as Draco was preparing to leave. Where are you off to now? asked Potter, as he always did. The cinema, said Draco. Cinema, said Potter. That's what I said, said Draco. What film are you seeing? asked Potter. I don't know. The film that's on? Malfoy, there are a lot of different films. Does it make a difference? asked Draco. Christ, said Potter. Okay, give me a second. I'll come with you. I beg your pardon? Potter laughed at him and said goodbye to Andromeda. When he came back, he grasped Draco's elbow and sidelonged him to a movie theatre, all lit up. Potter chatted to a man in a glass box for a few minutes, bought two tickets, and led Draco inside. There's a decent action movie on, he said. Aren't all movies action movies? No, it's... You'll see. Let's get popcorn, said Potter. What's popcorn? It's part of the experience, said Potter. Draco liked sitting next to Potter in the dark, and he liked the frisson of excitement he felt when his hands brushed against Potter's as he reached for the popcorn. He even liked the popcorn. But he did not like the movie, not in the least. Within about fifteen minutes, it became apparent that he could walk out now and have a little panic, or stay and have a big one. So he walked out. He couldn't cry in the bathrooms anymore, not since sixth year, which was an inconvenience. He walked out of the cinema and stood outside. He was shivering, struggling to breathe. The screen had been enormous. The voices, the shouting, the explosions. They had been so loud and Draco couldn't shut them out and it was dark and he was trapped and... Breathe in, said a voice. Draco tried to comply. That's right. Now, out. The voice continued to talk Draco through his breaths. It was a rough voice, scratchy. When Draco was sure he could speak, he opened his eyes. A homeless man was watching him with evident sympathy. Better? he asked. Draco nodded. Want to talk about it? Very much not, said Draco. The homeless man nodded and took out a cigarette. May I have one? asked Draco. Number 91. Smoke a cigarette like I mean it. The man gave him one and lit it for him when Draco's fingers trembled too much to work the lighter. Draco took in an inhale, then coughed his lungs out. Fucking hell, said the man. Is this your first one? Draco nodded. Just, uh, just take a smaller inhale next time. What's your name? asked Draco. Seven. It was a fairly common name among purebloods. Well, Septimus was. For the seventh son. I'm Draco. Seven didn't seem any more surprised by his name than Draco had been by Seven's. Panic attacks are shit, said Seven. I'm dying, said Draco boldly. Yeah, it always feels that way, doesn't it? No, I mean I'm actually dying. I've got five months left, said Draco. Well, shit, said Seven. Draco took another inhale of his cigarette. It was much more successful this time. He was beginning to feel pleasantly light-headed. Will you feel patronised if I give you money, he asked. Nope, said Seven. Draco got out his wallet. He had a £50 note and a £20 note. He gave them both to Seven, who beamed. I should help dying posh boys more often, he said. Do you believe in magic? asked Draco curiously. He had often wondered how much Muggles guessed about the wizarding world, but he didn't dare ask Jack anything because he didn't want to have to obliviate him. Seven nodded. Absolutely. The government's hiding it from us. Remarkable, said Draco, impressed. How are you going to die, then? asked Seven. A broken heart? Sort of. Painfully, anyway. He kicked at the curb. I've had a good run, he added. We'll go sometime, said Seven. Yes, exactly. At least I'll still look nice in my coffin. It's a bit shit, though, what with you being so young and all. My mother... Draco stopped himself. Breathe in, said Seven. Good man. Now let it out. Draco managed to breathe with some difficulty. Sorry, he said. That's all right. Listen, when the guy I'm with comes out, will you bugger off? He'll think I'm just talking to you to impress him or something. He sounds like a right twat, said Seven. Draco laughed. He is. You gay, then? asked Seven. Very. Draco tilted his head. Is that a problem? 
To each his own, shrugged Seven. He's not there, said Draco. The guy I'm with. Then why is he on a date with you? It's not a date. We're just watching a film. Maybe we'll get some dinner afterwards. Seven laughed. Dinner and a movie. Well, that's a date. Is it? asked Draco thoughtfully. He shook his head. Can I have another cigarette? You'll feel ill, said Seven. I don't care, said Draco. Seven lit another cigarette for him. I had a heart attack once, said Seven. Did you really? What was it like? asked Draco. Painful as shit. I'm scared of pain, said Draco. I'm a terrible coward. Will it hurt, whatever you've got? asked Seven. Draco nodded unhappily. Well, you're here now, that's the important thing, said Seven. You seem old and wise, said Draco. Tell me a story while I wait for my twat of a companion. So Seven embarked on a long and meandering tale about the time he had hitchhiked to Edinburgh. Draco had to inquire as to what hitchhiking was, and mentally added it to his bucket list. He smoked four more cigarettes while Seven spoke. The door opened. Draco widened his eyes at Seven, who hastily shrank into a nearby alleyway. Potter came to stand beside him. He looked pissed off. You left, he said. I thought you'd just gone to the loo at first. I didn't like the film, said Draco. Potter's eyes were cold. No, of course he didn't, all those muggles. Draco stubbed out his cigarette. Seven was right. He did feel ill, like there was a forest fire in the back of his throat. Let's just go, he muttered. Bless you, sir, said Seven loudly. For your generosity. Draco smirked at him, and Seven winked back. Potter just looked bewildered. Did you give him money? Merlin, just a few quid, said Draco. I didn't expect him to go all Dickens on me. Dickens? asked Potter. A Christmas carol? David Copperfield? Any of this ringing a bell? He's a muggle author, said Potter. Draco was so tired. His headache had been building for hours. Why did you walk out of the movie? asked Potter, and Draco could tell that he was in aura mode and would not let it go. It was too loud, all right? It was loud and... Oh God, not now. He took a few deep breaths. I just didn't like it, okay? Okay, said Potter softly. Potter, was this a date? The gentle expression on Potter's face vanished. For fuck's sake, Malfoy, if I ever want to date you, which I won't, you will know about it, okay? Dinner and a movie, said Draco stubbornly. Seven had said that dinner and a movie was a date. Sounds like a date. We haven't had dinner. Seriously, Malfoy, can you stop being weird? I'm trying to get along with you for Teddy's sake and you're making it fucking difficult. Draco twisted his mouth. Fine, I'll get dinner with Pansy, he said. He strode away, rounding a corner so that he could disapparate out of sight. He didn't have dinner with Pansy. He fell into bed, head pounding, and was unable to get out for 16 hours. That was part one of the bucket list, chapters one through four, written and read by Gala Placidia. Tune in next week for part two, and please leave a rating and review on iTunes. For more stories by me, head to AO3. I also have an Instagram, at letthemeetbooks, with underscores instead of spaces, where I post reviews of the books I read, so please say hello on there. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>